This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. And I'm going to be preaching for just a moment, and I won't be long this morning out of Jeremiah 10 on our matchless God. I'm looking at one verse this morning, but I'm going to read a few verses as we go along, so don't close your Bible. But I want you to look in verse number 10, or chapter 10, verse number 6. Of Jeremiah 10, the Bible says in verse number 6, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Verse number 7 is an interesting little verse. It says this, Who would not fear thee, O King of nations? For to thee doth it appertain, for as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. Two different times and two different verses, Jeremiah makes that statement, there is none like unto thee. Jeremiah is what we would call the weeping prophet. He was a man that spoke with a tear in his voice. From the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, he wept and he cried over what had become of a fallen nation. Jeremiah began with high hopes. He began hoping to be what God had promised him to be, the prophet ordained to all the nations. But very shortly thereafter, he realized it wasn't going to be what he thought it was going to be. And throughout the course of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes to this nation who has turned their hearts to these false idols that are in the coves and in the coveys and in the, the, the caves and the caverns of the land. And he looks at him and he says, what are you doing? Why in the world would you serve these false idols? Why would you look and listen and trust in these, these gods of stone and these gods of wood that you made with your own hands? He said, you were there, you cut the tree down, you carved out the, the idol's face, and yet you say this is the face of God. You were there whenever you picked that rock up out of the puddle and you ground it down and gave it arms and legs and feet, and yet you say it runs to you. He said, you have no idea what you're even talking about. He said, why would you serve that kind of God when the God you serve there is none like unto him. He said, your God is matchless. He cannot be compared to. He cannot be rivaled with. He cannot be fought against. He is the matchless God. Brothers and sisters, you and I live in a day where we are just like the Israelites. The Israelites decided that if they needed a, had a problem with the sun, they needed to serve the sun God. And if they had a problem with rain, they needed to serve the rain God. And if they had a problem with the fields, they needed to serve the field God. And if they had a problem with the harvest, they needed to serve the harvest God. And if they had a problem with their womb, they had to serve the God that gave them babies. And yet they, they did not understand that it was not the sun God that gave them the sunshine. It was the God that created the sun that gave them the sunshine. And, and it wasn't the God that, 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 that had the rain. It was the God that made the rain that made them and gave them everything that they were. He is the matchless God. Now, brothers and sisters, it's mighty easy for us 
us to, to belittle these kind of people and, and talk about these kind of people because we don't have stones and we don't have idols and, and we don't have all of these different things that they have. But yet we have gods that are made in different forms and fashions. No, we most of us don't have little stones that we have carved out that we trust in, but we have greenbacks in our pockets that if it gets a little low, we have a real hard time trusting that the matchless God of eternity will meet our need like that greenback that's in our pocket. We have these ideas that I, I don't want to tempt fate, yet something happens and we don't even understand that fate has nothing to do with it. It is the matchless God that creates and designs our destiny. We don't want to step on a four-leaf clover lest we, we upset the little leprechaun that's in the Lucky Charms box, but yet you and I have no idea what luck really is. There's no such thing as luck for my days are in the hands of a high and a holy God and there is no other God like the God that we serve. Let me give you four things our God is matchless in. Number one, our God is matchless in His creation. You see, it tells us in this chapter, verse number three, it says that the people have gone and they have cut down the trees and they have made the gods like unto themselves. He said, I saw the day that you went down into the forest and you took that axe and you hewed down that mighty oak and yet you whittled down that, that mighty oak and you created that God. You formed and you fashioned that God, but yet you say that that God has made everything. Brothers and sisters, how can a God that you cut down from the forest be the one that made that forest? How can the God that, how can you serve the God that put the stars in the sky if he's among the stars? Ladies and gentlemen, the God that made the forest is not down in that forest. He's bigger than that forest. He's got to be bigger than that forest. And the God that made those stars up in the heavens, he cannot be among the stars in the heavens. He's got to be above the stars that are in the heaven. You would not dare go to a computer screen or a cell phone that's in your back pocket and look at that cell phone and ever look at that and say, the creator of this cell phone or computer must be in that cell phone or computer. No, you say the thing, the guy, the, the owner, the, the inventor that made that phone is bigger than that phone and smarter than that phone. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you this morning that the God that I serve and the God that's a pumping in my heart this morning, he's bigger than the trees and he's bigger than the stars and he's bigger than the sun and he's bigger than the moon and he's bigger than the Milky Way. He's the God that made the sun. He's the God that made the stars. He's the God that made the sky. He's the God that made the Milky Way. And I'm not talking about the candy bar at the grocery store. Say amen right there. I'm talking about the God that is high and the God that is holy. He's so big that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. The stars bow down at his feet and the sun bows down at his feet. He's matchless in his creation. Number two, he's matchless in his capability. Verse number four, the Bible tells us something. In verse four, watch what it says. It says, they decked their idols with silver and with gold and they fastened them with hammers and with nails so that they don't move. He said, the gods of this world are so powerless that whenever somebody creates them, they got to nail them so that they prop up. They can't even stand up on their own. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of God do you have that whenever the wind blows, it bows down? What kind of God do you have that when the storm comes, it's nowhere to be found? A God that can't withstand the storm is a God that ain't going to help you get through the storms. 
And I remind you this morning that we have a God that does not have to be fastened up with hammers and with nails. Whenever you see that phrase, hammer and nail, being fastened up, that ought to take your mind to bloody Calvary where the loving Lamb of God was fastened to a tree. But I remind you right now, they didn't have to nail him to that tree. He'd have gotten on that tree all by himself. He'd have held himself up on that tree because he was there on his own pyre. They couldn't touch him with death. They couldn't take his life. And when they put him inside of a tomb, they found that even though they sealed the tomb with that Roman seal, death couldn't keep him in. The grave couldn't keep him in. Hell couldn't keep him in. Death couldn't keep him in. He walked out victorious as a God like our God. He's matchless in his pyre. The storms can't stop him and the waves can't stop him and the winds can't stop him and the people can't stop him and your problems can't stop him. He's matchless in his capabilities and his power. Number three, he tells us in verse number five, he's matchless in his comfort. He says in verse number 5, he says, They are upright as the palm, but they speak not. Jeremiah said, You whittled lips on that tree, but did it talk to you when your heart was broken? You put eyes on the side of that palm. You made it elaborate. It looks good, but does it help you when you're hurting? Beloved, you can give everything in your life, give everything in your heart, give everything and everything you've got. And I promise you, the little G gods of this life will not help you when the going gets tough and the tough gets going. I remind you right now, you can have as many $100 bills, $50 bills, $20 bills, $10 bills, $5 bills, $1 bills as you want in your pocket. But when the going gets tough and your life gets rough and you get down in the valley, a thousand, a million of those dollars will not help pull you out of the valley. You can serve the little booze bottle. You can serve your God Jack Daniels. You can serve tequila. You can serve, I don't care what it is you bow down to, but when the heart gets hurting and your heart gets broken, it ain't going to help you not near a bit. Honey, you can roll it up. You can dope it. You can smoke it. You can bow down to it. You can give your entire being to it. It's not going to help you when the going gets tough. But yet our God, he does not have lips, yet he speaks. And he does not have ears, yet he hears. And he does not have hands, yet he reaches down in the midst of the valley and in the midst of the trial. And he'll pick you up. And when you cannot find a word from anybody, you'll find that one One word from God will bring all the comfort that you need because he's matchless in his comfort. Preachers can't help you. People can't help you. Life can't help you. Politicians can't help you. But there's something about the matchless God of eternity that'll change you. Number four, he's matchless in his coming. It says in verse number five, it says they must needs be born because they cannot go. You know what that means? It means you can whittle legs in that God all you want. But when you're far out there, it ain't coming to where you are. Now, it's not a big deal because a lot of times whenever they would leave their house, they would take their God in their little pocket. They would take that God of stone. If they were going out into the fields, they would get the wood God or the stone God of the fields and they'd put it in their pocket. Or if they could wake up in the morning and and they saw that the skies looked rough and a storm was coming, they'd put the stone god of storms in their pocket. Or if they knew they were going on a hard trip or they were going on a hard journey, they would take whatever the good luck charm that was that day and they'd put it in their pocket. And that's wonderful. Can I ask a question? What happens if you leave home without it? If you get on your journey and you walk down your way and a storm hits you that you didn't see, can you call out to that God and that God come to where you are? 
Could they yell to the God of stone and the God of wood and the God of gold and silver and say, help me, I need your touch? And would it run from its little stoop and come to where they were? Absolutely not, because they had to be born everywhere that they go. Ladies and gentlemen, the things that we serve and the things we bow down to in this life and the things we trust in in this life, what God's trying to tell you when it's hard and it's tough and you're out there and you call for help, those things are not going to help you. Those people are not going to help you. Those situations are not going to help you, but yet there is a God that when you call unto him, no matter if you've walked a thousand miles away from him, he runs to his people and he flees to his people and he'll go to his people in the midnight hour of oppression. He'll run to his people in the midnight of their sorrow. He'll run to his people in the midnight of their fear. He'll run to his people in the midnight of your rejection. He'll run to his people. Ladies and gentlemen, our God's not a God like man. Our God doesn't have lips like us and eyes like us and ears like us and feet like us, yet he's got feet like you and I have never seen because it's the kind of feet that can walk on top of waves and can walk on top of water. It's the kind of legs that can span the mountains and dip down through the valley. It's the kind of legs that can go through any river as wide or as far. He's got the kind of hands that'll reach down no matter how deep the pit, no matter how deep the oppression. Our God can, our God will and there ain't nobody like the God we serve. He's matchless in his coming. Now, beloved, I remind you right now, that's good and that's bad. Because if you've got a God that is matchless, you better know there's some downside to that too. Let me give you three aspects of God that you need to understand since God is matchless. Number one, if our God is matchless, His judgment is inescapable. The Bible tells us in verse number 10 and in verse number 11 of this chapter, but he, the Lord, is the true God. He's the living God. He's an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not abide his indignation. Thus shall you say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish. He uses the word wrath, he uses the word indignation, and he uses the word perish. Can I give y'all some redneck interpretation of those words? Are you ready? That's bad. If you got a God that the heaven of heavens can't contain him and fire can't put him out and water can't drown him and mountains can't cover him up and pits can't hide him and rivers can't stop him, whenever he starts talking about his wrath, whenever he starts talking about his indignation and whenever he starts talking about things perishing, you better watch out, brother. Now, I've seen a lot of people huff and I've seen a lot of people puff, but very few times has their bite been as big as their bark. You ever met a yelping dog? Son, I got a yelping dog. In fact, if you call me and are looking for a dog, I'll make you a good deal on one if you hit me today. Son, that dog, she'll yelp. That dog just chirps. I mean, she just, she'll chase a ball and chirp. Look at a squirrel outside the fence and she'll chirp. Look at a mockingbird come by, she'll chirp. Crows in the trees, she'll, she'll I mean, just a chirping, it's just a barking and yapping his dog. A squirrel got in the yard the other day, though. Son, that tail went between them back legs and son, she put that thing in double clutch and popped it back to the house so fast you couldn't see straight. 
She's got a bark, but she ain't got no bite. Can I encourage somebody in something? Just because God ain't barking don't mean the bite ain't coming, honey. Because one of the scariest dogs you can ever meet is a kind that gives you no warning. That's the kind of dog that'll take your hand clean off of your arm. And because God's looking around and, and just because he's merciful, people have got this idea, just because God hadn't stopped me don't mean God won't stop me. Just because God ain't shut me down don't mean God ain't going to shut you down. You see, God is a gracious God and God is a merciful God and God is a God of great kindness and great compassion. But when the time comes that God has dealt with you and dealt with you and dealt with you and dealt with you over the issue that you are wrestling with him about and he's told you it's not right, he's told you it's not good, he's told you it's an issue. He's told you you need to make it right. When you finally get to the place where even though he's not barking, when God finally clamps down on that because he's a matchless God, I promise you, you will not escape the judging hand of God when it finally comes. There is a nation full of politicians not right now that need to understand that judgment will come to a land that has turned her back on the God of heaven. But this morning, I'm not even worried about the, the government. I'm not worried about the politicians. I'm worried about the people of God that claim to be the people of God, that claim to be the saved by grace, that claim to be the lovers of Jesus Christ, yet they live like a bunch of junkyard dogs and the Holy Ghost keeps dealing and the Holy Ghost keeps telling and the Holy Ghost keeps compassionating and the Holy Ghost keeps giving grace and the Holy Ghost keeps giving mercy and just because he's not barking doesn't mean one day when he bites it won't hurt. There are people under the sound of my voice and I'm telling you I told them at 9 I tell you at 11 when judgment falls at the house of God it is going to be inescapable you will not deny it's happening you will not deny it's in your life you will not deny but yet it did not have to be that way Israel could have bowed down at the feet and before the face of almighty God and he said I'll be compassionate and I will give you mercy and I will protect you and I will help you and ladies and gentlemen I remind you you right now. You don't have to die in your trespasses and sins. You don't have to die far out and away from God. You can bow at the feet of the old rugged cross. And when judgment is inescapable, when you're found in Jesus Christ, you will not suffer the judging hand of God. But I remind people, hear me now, judgment is coming. It's coming. How many of you remember them old time Holy Ghost hell, fire, and brimstone preachers? Yeah. Where have they gone? They went silent. The grave covered their voice up and nobody took up the mantle and raised it before a land and before a people and said judgment is on the way. You realize whenever judgment started coming and started sweeping and started swooning the people of God in the book of Jeremiah, there was only one man that was crying out and his name was Jeremiah. Everybody else had a happy tone. Everybody else had a glad tone. Everybody else was telling everybody that it's going to be okay. God's not really going to judge. God's not really going to tear us up. God's not really going to tear us asunder. But yet there was only one man that was speaking the truth. And I remind you right now, it doesn't matter if every preacher in this God-given earth turns away from the things and the truth of God. It does not change the fact that our God will judge. Our God is going to judge and it's going to start at the house of God and our God's judgment is like no other judgment. And when it comes, you will not deny it and you will not escape it. 
Judgment's inescapable. Number two, our God is matchless. Therefore, His handiwork is indisputable. Watch what it says in verse number 12 and verse number 13. He hath made the earth by His power. He established the world by His wisdom. He hath stretched out the heavens by His discretion. He uttereth His voice and there's a multitude of waters. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh the lightnings and the rain. He bringeth forth the wind. Why did that matter to the people of God? Well, here's why it mattered. Because they felt that to get the sun to shine, you had to make the sun God happy. And in order to get rain to fall, you had to have the rain God be happy. And in order for the wind to blow just right, you had to have the wind God happy. And in order for there not to be any storms, you had to make the storm God happy. You see, they thought everything was separated, that everything had its own piece of the pie. What Jeremiah comes and he says, by the power of the Holy Ghost, he comes and he says, it was God that stretched out the heavens. It was God that sent the rain. It was God that made the sun. It was God that sent the storm. It was God that makes the wind. It was all God. And it wasn't a bunch of individual pieces doing their own thing. It was one God that controls it all. You know, people are weird. Anybody else ever wake up in the morning and say, what kind of weird am I going to get into today? You pastor a little bit, come talk to me. I mean, I meet some odd birds, son. Some of the oddest people I know do two things. Play chess and put together jigsaw puzzles. Strange bird, son, strange bird. My mother-in-law puts together jigsaw puzzles. My mother-in-law will take a box of pieces. Now, they're already mixed up in the box. I'm feeling some cool wind from this area, but here I'm going to go right here. And she'll take a box and shake it up and then dump the pieces out. And she'll sit there and start putting pieces together. She'll take one piece and she'll sit it over to the side. And she'll take another piece and sit it over to the side. And she puts this whole thing together over a couple of days, sometimes a week or so. And sometimes on a weekend she'll do it in a couple, couple of hours. just depends on what her timing is. Now, what would you say if I walked into this puzzle that had been put together? And nobody's standing there by it. And I said, those pieces put themselves together. That piece did its job, and that piece did its job, and that piece did its job, that piece did its job. And just one day, it all came together doing its own thing. You'd look at me and say, man, you're crazy. You and I both know that individual pieces can't put themselves together. It takes one person that sees the whole picture that puts it all together. 
Brothers and sisters, Jeremiah looks at these people. He said, why are you serving the storm God? Why are you serving the sun God? Why are you serving the rain God? And then you go to the temple of Jehovah and you serve the Jehovah God. Now let me talk to the jigsaw people over here because I could tell y'all got a little upset with that. And let me just talk to you right quick. Here's what I'm telling you. We treat God like he's a part of a jigsaw puzzle. You got the church piece and you got the God piece and then you got the marriage piece and then you got the, the kid piece and then you got the situation piece and then you got the problem piece. You got that little piece that really doesn't seem like it fits anywhere. And if I get God in the right place, and I get this in the right place, and I get that in the right place, and you've missed the whole point. It's not a God piece and a church piece. God's the one that's putting together all the pieces of the puzzle of your life. He's the one trying to take this, and he's the one trying to take that, and he's the one trying to move this, and he's the one trying. You don't need all these other things. You just need the hand of God. You ever seen somebody that just will not let go, whatever it's in. And we all deal with that. Every one of us struggle with letting go of a piece of our lives. But yet there are times when my mother-in-law will take a piece of that jigsaw puzzle and she's bound and determined, because my Ella will get in there with her. She is bound and determined to make that piece work. And she will sit there for, it seems like just time goes by. And what she doesn't realize is the reason that piece won't fit is I haven't got the surrounding pieces put together. But when the surrounding pieces get put together, then that piece will. You see, the devil's got so many people confused because there's this piece of your life that just not has not been worked out. It just hasn't been arranged right. You can't figure out what's going on. Here's what I'm telling you right now. Our God is matchless. He knows what he's doing. His work is perfect. You can't dispute that God's moving pieces in your life and he's moving people out and he's moving people in and he's moving situations out and he's moving situations in and he's moving things all around and you don't understand any of it. Just let him work. And it'll all make sense. You know how my mother-in-law is successful at every jigsaw puzzle she puts together? You know how people put jigsaw puzzles together? Simple. She's got this picture on the outside of the box. And when the pieces only see the scramble, she sees what it's supposed to be. And you and I don't understand the scrambling. But the God you serve and the God that I serve, Jeremiah looks at him and he says he sees the whole picture. Let him work. Let me give you number three. Number three, thy God is matchless. Therefore, his companionship is indestructible. Verse number 14, 15, and 16, there's some words here that I want to show you. Verse number 14, the Bible says, Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image. For the molten image is falsehood, and there's no breath in them. Their vanity and their work error, in the time of their visitation, they shall perish. Can I give you that right there in the King Tyler version? Here's what that means. It means no matter how wonderful the little gods are, when the judgment falls and the fire comes, they're all going to go away. Nothing in this life is going to stick with you when you hit hard times. 
Money won't do you any good. Relationships won't do you any good. Family won't do you any good. People won't do you any good. Jobs won't do you any good. All these things we hold on, it's all going to fall apart. At some point or another, you will realize that the things you hold to will not hold you. Now watch what it says in verse 16. The portion of Jacob is not like them. He is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. Underline that phrase right there, the rod of his inheritance. That phrase in the Hebrew, it literally means what you and I would refer to as a stob. Fellas, do you know what a stob is? You put a stob in the ground to mark something. Now, I want you to notice what it says in verse number 16. He says, the God of Israel is my portion. I want to tell you what that word portion means. The word portion, it literally means a share, a piece of territory, or land that is given because of a birthright. Now, I am not a wheeler and dealer. I'd love to be a wheeler and dealer. I love selling stuff. Now, don't tell my wife. But if I can make some money on my house, it's gone. Don't tell me. I'll call Scott Brewer in a New York minute, son, and we'll have that thing on the market. Every house I've ever bought, every house I've ever sold, you had to have a survey. And when a surveyor comes out, he's got these mechanisms, and what that surveyor is doing is he's marking out the pieces of your land. Now, ladies, I know most of you have, don't even pay attention to that. Do you know what the most important thing on your lot is? It's not the house you live in. It's not the car in your driveway. It's called the stob. They put the stob... Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. A stob is this metal rod that they put in the corners of your property. And those stobs are an indication. Everything inside of this marker belongs to the person that lives in that house. That is their portion. That is their territory. Now, honey, I may not be a king, but I got me some territory. And it's marked by stobs. Now, God forbid that something were to happen to me and to Erica. But if something were to happen to both of us, my land, my house, my territory would not just be puffed up in the air. What would happen to it? It would be passed down to my Mason and my Ella. Is it because they bought it? No. Is it because they paid a red cent on it? No, it's given to them because it is their birthright.
It's because of who their daddy is. That right there belongs to them. Now let me put this down in applicational form right now. The things that you serve and the things that I serve and the things we hold to in this life when the fire comes and the smoke comes and the storms come, they don't belong to us. We don't have a hold on them. We have no ownership over those things. Oh, but when the storms of life blow against my soul and the storms of life blow against your soul, there is a God in heaven that is our territory. He belongs to us and we belong to him. We've got the stakes. You say, what are the stakes in your life? Honey, there were three stakes. There was one in the right hand of the Lord Jesus. There was one in the left hand of the Lord Jesus. And there was one in the feet of the Lord Jesus. And because of my birthright in Christ, there is nothing that can blow against my soul that will take me out of the hands of God. Now, there's a lot of things in this life, whether you're good or whether you're bad, determines whether you get to keep or have those things. But our God's matchless. And you can't lose what you did not earn. You ever met an Indian giver? Sorry, things. You can have it as long as you do what they want. I'm going to tell you the worst Indian givers I have in my life are my two kids. Man, they'll give each other stuff and they'll get mad at each other. I have watched fist fights break out at my house because somebody said something ugly and the other one got mad and took it back. I watched Ella the other day. I watched my daughter the other day. Mason, this is Peaches, the puppy, supposed to be his dog. His dog, my foot. I watched Mason and Ella. Now, y'all know Ella's scared to death of dogs. She's doing really good now, but she, I mean, she's still got a little bit of terror in her. Mason got mad at her, and they were fussing and fighting, and I mean, going at it. He picks up poor little Peaches and says, she's mine, I'm taking her. Ella said, you can have her. <laughs> and then I've watched some basketballs out, outside playing, and one will be playing with a basketball, and the other don't like it. And Ella... Women, I don't understand them. She ain't sweet. Steve, sit there and be quiet. My little girl, that girl will cry. Hey, my line, baby. I cry. I ain't never seen nothing like it. She'll be out there playing with a ball. And my son, he's just mean. I'm just going, sometimes he's just mean. Not all the, but sometimes he's just mean, Scott. And he'll go out there to her, and he'll walk up to her, and he'll take his ball, and he'll go back to the house, and she starts a wailing. And I'll walk outside. What's going on? I bet our neighbors are really thankful we moved in. What's going on? And Ella will say, I was playing with that ball. And Mason will say, that was my ball. And I said, Mason, give her the ball. He said, it's my ball. I said, the last time I checked, I bought it. <laughs> you see, the devil has this mindset that he can take stuff from us. 
He can take our peace and He can take our joy and He can take our tranquility and He can take our, our assurance and He can take our, 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 our completeness in Jesus Christ and He'll walk up to us and He'll rip that peace out of us and rip that strength out of us and rip that courage out of us and rip that assurance out of us and rip that thought out of us and rip that dream out of us and rip that vision out of us and He'll start walking away and we'll cry unto our Heavenly Father and the Holy Father of Heaven will yell down the portals of glory and He'll say, Devil, what are you doing touching that right there? And He'll say, I'm taking it. It's mine. And the God of heaven will say, you didn't buy that. My son bought that. My son's blood bought that. It belongs to them. Give it back. When you got a God that's as matchless as that God, you can't destroy his closeness and companionship. Our God is matchless. 